The place I remember back to Mac, which I think is very important, is that it is not only a tax credit policy to incentive investment from power generation, it also has a very important industrial policy. And this comes from what it was the proposal of Georgia Senator Ossoff's that went into the Build Back Better that never saw the light of day. And that was incorporated into the Inflation Reaction Act in the summer of 2022. Hello and welcome to the Solar Maverick podcast, where solar meets entrepreneurship and experience. I'm your host, Benoit Thanjan, so let's get into it. Hi, this is Benoit, your host of the Solar Maverick podcast. I'm really excited on this episode of the podcast to have Martin Poach Tarut from Hellene Solar. Martin, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. I've heard, as we talked in the pre-interview, a lot about you from Manish Nair from Oya Solar. So it's great to finally meet. I appreciate Sophia connecting us. Can you talk about? I started this company back in 2010. We're headquarters in a small city called Sosan Marie on the very east end of Lake Superior in the north of Ontario, right on the border with the Michigan Upper Peninsula. So back then, the U.S. market was very small, and the entire market had a tariff program that required solar motors in particular to be made within the province. So that market pool was what made myself and my business partner to convince us to invest and start manufacturing in Ontario. That program, I would say, even if it lasted until 2017, the real demand dwindled down after 2014. So it was in 2015 that we started focusing on making in Ontario and exporting to the U.S. Minnesota was one of the markets where we were making modules and modules too. And it was back then, you mentioned Manish and Oya. Their sister company, Polar Racking, came with us to Minnesota back then to start selling for them racking for us modules with distribution in what was called the Medi Minnesota program. And that for us triggered an opportunity that was taking over a factory in northern Minnesota in a little place called Mountain Iron that was managed by a different company that decided to close. So when they were going out of business in April of 2017, we seized that opportunity took it over on May. So three weeks after we learned they were closing, we took it over and started producing them in 2018 as a response to 01 safeguard that was imposed by the federal government in the U.S., taxing imports from every country on the planet, including Canada. We made it an investment, so we pivoted to become a U.S. manufacturer with an investment. So by October of 2018, we started a new line there. So what we call right now Minnesota Line 1. We call it Line 1 because in 2022, we added a 500 megawatt line contiguous to that one that we installed in 2018. By the way, we are replacing the 2018 line later this year with a 300 megawatt line. So the Minnesota site in between line one and line two would have by November a capacity of 800 megs. That's pretty impressive. When a lot of companies were moving out of the U.S., we could go on and on, and I'm sure you could talk about it. But for you to be aggressive in 2017, is that correct? To come into the market three weeks once you've found that site available, like very fortuitous, especially considering everything that's happened. As we were talking, when you see someone that knows how to play a sport, they make it look easy. Then you want to do the same, but you can't do it, right? You know, our bodies are not made for that. So coming back to business, in 45 seconds, I told you the story of 13 years of work. 
I can tell you that I always joke about it is that 13 years ago, I was 30 years younger. <laughs> right? It has been painful. We've been able to grow. We've been able to stay in business. We've been able to provide a high quality product. But believe me, it was not easy. Oh, for sure. I mean, so you started the company in 2010, is that correct? Correct. Yeah. So it's been yeah. 13 years. And as you know, solar years, as you said, you're like a seasoned veteran. It's like multiplied by three or four times, especially at that time, especially with PV manufacturing, how complicated it is in North America. And then to see that opportunity in Ontario, which was lucrative for a lot of yes. companies that came into that program. And then seeing the basically the fit dry up and seeing an opportunity in Minnesota and partnering, obviously, with Solar and Polar Rack. And we've had Manish actually on the podcast. And that was primarily Rooftop. Correct. The Minnesota Community Solar Program was, I'm sure, a great opportunity as well for you. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because you're moving from a roof-mounted system to ground-mounted. Oh, right. Yes. One of the things that we did since 2015 it was to provide first modules made in Canada and then you know, modules made in the U.S., modules for projects. So one of the things that we've done in early 2014 was to qualify with landlords. And what does that mean? Basically, instead of us offering models in the open market and competing only on price, once you qualify with lenders for projects that they are financing, then you are only competing within the approved vendor list of that lender. So that is a facilitator to actually sell. Is there a way to be able to work within a smaller basket of competitors on a product that is bankable? Helian has been, for the first time, into the Bloomberg Gen 1 list in Q4 of 2015. We continue to be on that selected list. That means that we have ongoing projects with third-party non-recourse finance, right? So that has been our intention and marketing strategy. So we rarely make modules for the residential market that mainly self-distribution, we rather concentrate on projects and working with the developer, the lender, and if there is a tax equity partner with them as well. That is huge. You know, that's actually how I first found out about your company. I would always analyze the Bloomberg Tier 1. Like, what's the local companies, meaning in the U.S. or North America? Must have been around 2014, 2015. When you're on that list and you're a North American company, because as we've seen, there's a lot of Chinese manufacturers that's come and gone on that list. Stuff that we were doing five years ago with certain Chinese manufacturers, they don't exist anymore. And obviously to get the big financiers, as he said, comfortable, you have to be on that tier one list. And that's a big differentiator, as he said. And maybe there's only 15 to 20 companies on there. So it makes it a lot easier. It's not just based on obviously price. The other thing that we've been able to provide and continue to provide as the geopolitics of our world here <laughs> and the trade-related issues get more and more complex. Again, we are a manufacturer. Both of our locations are in Midwest. Because even the Canadian one is literally two miles on the U.S. border and of Interstate 75, which is the highway that goes from Miami to northern Michigan. So we are mainly focused on having B to supply models for, let's say, the Midwest going south and the northeast. So that, I would say, is our stomping ground because of where we are. And because basically, once we make your module, we load it on a truck in the afternoon and you will receive it first time in the morning. So shipping for us is same day, next day type proposition. 
our model is not loaded on a container that will be on a boat for six weeks that can be stopped at the border to research the origin of your polysilicon under the Uyghur Forced Labor Protection Act, or in a solar one case or in solar two case, or coming shortly, whatever happens with the termination of this possible silk convention for modules made in Malaysia, Thailand, Cambodia, or Vietnam. All of those possible daggers over the head of the developer, you know, in our case, it just don't exist. There's so much going on in the solar industry, it could be hard to keep up. Never mind, get ahead. New technologies, new ways to sell, policy changes, the Inflation Reduction Act, high inflation, high interest rates. We only have 30 seconds, so I'll stop there. But whether you want to up your sales game, streamline your operations, or to be a more effective solar leader, Empower is the one-day virtual event to help you improve your solar business. Join industry leaders, policy experts and solar professionals on August 16 to investigate issues that matter to your solar business. Register for free at aurorasolar.com slash empower2023. We'll also have this on the notes of the podcast. Thank you. And that's a huge differentiator, as especially during COVID. And even now, it's challenging to get panels and it's challenging to get panels in a timely manner. So that's huge when you could differentiate that quick delivery and turnaround because you're already in the States and obviously using the major highways to truck it. And then you don't have to go through U.S. customs. We ship on a truck. Years ago, we did a supplier portfolio with 22 megawatts, but each project was 150 kilowatts DC or, you know, 120 AC. And we had to supply in flatbed trucks on the track of to ride between 7 and 7.30 in the morning because there were schools. So the modules had to be hoisted to the roof by 7.30 in the morning at the latest, but then kids would be getting into the building. So that logistics arrangement, we can do it. We are not on the other side of the ocean. Yeah, definitely. That's great to understand. And how has the Inflation Reduction Act impacted your business? There's still like translations on certain parts of it, but hopefully we'll get most of the guidance in August. But can you talk about how that's impacted your business? There are two parts on that. So the part that the market has been using, which is the investment tax credit for developers and for those that will own the power generation long term, is good because it's beneficial to everybody, but to us indirectly because it makes the demand sustainable in the long term. The investment tax credit was at 22% and going down and was going to disappear by 2024. And, you know, the Pleasure Action Act increased it back to 30% and postponed that sunset of the investment tax credit going down to 2032. That has created a market demand that was unprecedented, right? When you look at what 2023 will be and the expectation of the years to come, and you compare that with the forecasts that were made in 2021 for 2023 and beyond, the comparison is uh, astonishing because you see that the market is already growing and will grow to 30 gigawatts and 50 gigawatts by 2030. And that was never thought that it was possible. 
And then the Pleasure of Action Act, which I think is very important, is that it contains an industrial policy. It is not only a tax credit policy to incentive investment for power generation, it also has a very important industrial policy. And this comes from what it was the proposal for Georgia, Senator Ossoff, Solar Energy Manufacturing for America. That was the initial name of that bill that went into the Build Back Better that never saw the light of day. And then was incorporated into the Inflation Reaction Act in the summer of 2022. That industrial policy we saw in the U.S. only for industry as a result of the Second World War. That industrial policy was legislated through Congress. So this is extremely important and is creating already tens of thousands of jobs in manufacturing. The jobs in development, in installation, we saw that before and that is accelerating. But now we have also the jobs related to manufacturing that we haven't seen. This is a new part. And I think it's very important. There's been many announcements of companies coming to build infrastructure all through the solar, wind, storage, bio, diesels, all of the alternative and for us, it means that we will get a better payback. We will actually get a payback on the investment. So that's why we are replacing the 2018 line in Minnesota this year. So the equipment is already being made and being shipped. And shortly, we'll look for buildings to build yet two more lines. So that's another gigawatt. So we go from 1.1 to 2.1. It depends on the size of the glass, right? So we produce pieces of glass per hour. So when we all say, you know, this factory we have a one gigawatt capacity is really an approximation. So, you know, coming back, we will look for a building to contain and to house two more lines. And that would be not in the same location where we are in Northeastern Minnesota, but on the Minneapolis and Paul metropolitan area. But we're doubling down on our certain bet to stay in Minnesota. I think it's a great market. I was actually just there recently, the Midwest, as well as a lot of opportunity for utility scale rooftop development. So it was actually at first agrovoltaic conference in Chicago. Just summarizing what you said, that's huge. The investment tax credit staying at 30%. There's no drop down. Instead of every year, two years, it changing. Now it looks like it's going to be long term for 10 years. Yeah. Shoring of manufacturing in the US and giving incentives to do that is great. You know, one of the things that I had is like, how long does it actually take to install a new line into a factory? For a module line, doesn't require complex permitting and complex civil work. So basically, we build a building to host Line 2 in Mountain Iron with the financing obtained, grants and loans obtained from the state. It took us a year to build the building. We ordered the equipment and within nine months, we were installing it. If you go into an existing building, then from the moment you place the purchase order for the equipment to installing it is roughly nine months. The installation is complex because there's a lot of automation. So the line that we're selling in Mountain Iron in 2022 has the ability to produce a model every 24 seconds. Imagine at the speed at which that model is passing through manufacturing steps. So there's no human touch, there's no human interaction, there's only humans to control. Everything is going well. And then to load materials on the line and get the pitch modules from it. So nine months is what it takes. And what is required basically is very strong HVAC system 
so that the entire building is at a temperature and humidity controlled and what we call negative pressure. So when you open the door to get in, you're fighting from the push of the air because basically air flows out of the building so that there's no dust coming in. Then, you know, compressor and power is all we need. When we talk about cell manufacturing, which is basically what we're starting to work towards to manufacture cells to cover our own demand, not to sell solar cells in the market, but not to have our own cells. We will consume wafers instead of importing cells. A cell manufacturing line requires water treatment plant because there's a close sequence of water circulation, chemicals in liquid as well as in gas. Building all of those piping lines and loops and the permitting that is required because you are doing all of that, it becomes a two-year proposition instead of nine months. Empower is the only one-day event to help you improve your solar business. Join industry leaders, policy experts, and solar professionals on August 16th to investigate the issues that matter to your solar business, like how to attach more storage to solar sales, the latest in solar financing, how to most efficiently generate leads, using tech to streamline workflows, how to understand federal and state incentives. Oh, sorry, just thinking about more of the issues that keep solar professionals up at night. The point is we're all dealing with a lot right now. So why make the time to check out Aurora's conference on August 16th? Well, here's a couple of reasons why I'm attending. It's free. I mean, that never hurts, right? It's virtual. You're not stuck at a conference center all day. You can tune into the sessions you want to and go on with your business. There are sessions that count for NABSEP continuing education credits, so you can knock that out at the same time. The content is really worthwhile. I know I'm going to learn something or get a different perspective that I could use in my business. And of course, you'll hear from me on a panel covering policy. So I hope you'll be there on August 16th. You could register at Aurora Solar slash Empower 2023. It'll also be in the notes of the podcast. Thank you. That's interesting. That was actually the next question that I was going to ask you. And it's interesting that you're going to basically do the cell manufacturing in the future, which makes sense with most of the cell manufacturing that's been happening in China. And you mentioned about the Uber tribes and forced labor, the United States saying that they're not going to take any away from that part of China and to kind of know where it's coming from. Of course. Right now, it's not only Canada, right? The European Union is doing the same. In Canada, we are, by law, required to report on everything we import and the origin. So in the U.S., you are reporting if you are asked. So customs says, prove where your goods are coming from. You need to provide the documentation. In Canada, it's a reporting requirement. You have to do it. You're not asked. You have to do it. Otherwise, you cannot import. And this is whether you import, you know, salami or T-shirts from Bangladesh, because there is legislation around the prohibition on the use of not properly paid labor. That makes sense. You were talking about the temperature within the manufacturing facility. Is that why you prefer Minnesota versus other parts of the country? Because it's naturally not as warm? Yeah, tell me about it. It's never warm. (laughs) You don't need refrigeration, but you need heating, right? Because even if you have to maintain the building roughly at, you know, 67 to 69 degrees Fahrenheit. So when this minus 40 outside, you still need to use energy to heat. I don't think there is any place that is perfect. So you either refrigerate or heat, but we always need to do one or the other. 
Can you talk about your different product line? And I know we talked a little bit about agrobotics that you have that uses green out. No, all right. So on the products at the beginning of 2023, we discontinued all products that were not using an M10 size solar cell. So in the past, we had the standard old 60 cells, 72 cells. Those were made with a solar cell that was 157 millimeters square. And it was what is called G1. That product, the last of it, were manufactured between December and January 2023. We were also making modules with the 166 millimeter cell that was called M6. We discontinued the product at the end of March 2023. However, we've been using and manufacturing modules with the M10, which is the 192 millimeter cell, since September of 2021. So we were having these three different unparalleled product offers that, because why? Because developers have engineered projects with those products. So we did tell everybody by mid-2022 that these products were going to go out of fashion. And we discontinued, as I mentioned, and concentrate in manufacturing only with one size of cell, which is the one that's called M10, the 182 millimeter. So the bread and butter product, going back again to September 2021, is the 144 cell M10, which is a 530 to 540 watts on the divide facial. It's a basically a ground mount product. And then we also offer for clients that build on a rooftop, you know, the likes of Altus Power and Solar Landscape. So their installations are mainly on a rooftop and they design for slightly shorter module, which is a 132 half cell. So that product is a 480 and 490 watt with a white batching. We don't make much of residential. Obviously, residential is 2 3% of our annual revenue, but that is the black module, the 108 black module on 390 and 400 watts. That's really interesting to go through all the different product lines, and it's helpful to understand that. So I appreciate you doing that. You were asking about the agrivoltaic which is yes. the intersection between agriculture and solar power generation. We have been working really for a couple of years on finding what is the right combination of solar cells that actually will provide a shadow whenever they have under it and an empty space that will be used for light to go through. We built a pilot project in the Niagara region, the Canadian side of Niagara, back in 2020, replacing half an acre of roof on a greenhouse with this integrated solar module that has only two strings or four strings instead of six. A standard solar module has six strings and very little space in between the strings. So what we did was with two strings or four strings, having light go through the rest and have different crops grow under it, And it was Niagara College that made the third-party research on the ability of plants to grow under this light dissipated because of the solar glass circumstance. And Barclay found that the shading of the module, the two strings or four strings, did not preclude the plant from growing. So the plant in the witness area and under the panels grew exactly at the same speed. So the plants were of the same size and the same weight. 
We're working on right now with a company out of New Mexico called UBQD, which is a developer of a nanocoating. This nanocoating right now is sold in sort of a tarp that is hanging under the glass of greenhouses to incorporate that nanocoating inside the solar module. So we're working on you know, the lamination process to ensure that we're not killing the nanocoating. And what this nanocoating does is shift the frequency of light. What that means is the nanoparticle absorbs the light in all of the frequencies. Think of the frequencies as the colors on the rainbow and actually emits it. It issues it down only between yellow and red. That are the only frequencies that the plant will assimilate. So this will allow plants to actually grow faster. What we really will be doing is offsetting the shading that the strings of cells will have on whatever plant is being grown under it. That's really interesting. That's a great technology. And I'm happy that you talked about that because a lot of people are looking into agrovoltaics. Some states have some pilot programs and, you know, incentives for it. So that's great to know because it's still very early in the state. It is, but when you think we all eat and we remember several times a day, I mean, in my case, it'd be two hours, right? So <laughs> that province has to come from somewhere, right? So we produce it, we consume it, and all of these greenhouses require power. Many of them use LED lights to accelerate plant growth, even to change flavor or to emphasize flavor. So as greenhouses and this intention to eat the food that grows closer to us, you know, the 100-mile rule or whatever we call it, we all need to work towards being uh, part of the solution and looking for ways to improve the light requirement of greenhouses, which, by the way, are very large power consumers. Yeah, definitely. I couldn't agree more. We're actually going to have Dan French, who organized that Agrovotex conference in March, to be on the podcast. Actually, we're finalizing on a date for the interview. The Solar Maverick podcast is about solar and entrepreneurship. You started, Helene, now it's been, what, 13 years. What suggestions would you have for someone who wants to start their own company or being an entrepreneur? Be patient. Nothing is easy. When you think you need to work 60 hours a week, you are underestimating it is more. And surround yourself with people that make you laugh because your day is going to be very difficult. So work with those that are capable of willing together with you, you know, whatever challenge you are confronted on and do that with people that make you laugh. That's great advice and very simple and transparent and works. If our audience, who we call Mavericks, want to learn more about Helene or about you, Martin, what's the best way they could do that? The Helene website has a bit of information, is a bit outdated, I know. Who has the time to keep it updated? My email address is on the website. So just send me a note or ping me on LinkedIn. I'm always in front of the screen. So, you know, everybody nowadays in the business environment uses LinkedIn. Just look for my profile and ping me there. That sounds great. And we'll also have it on the notes of the podcast as well. Thank you again, Martin, for being on the podcast. This was a great interview. My pleasure. Thanks for listening to the Solar Maverick Podcast. The Solar Maverick Podcast is brought to you by Renew Energy. We're a solar development and consulting firm. If you believe that this podcast is adding value to you, please give us a five-star review and share with those that you think can benefit from this information. Please email all questions, suggestions, and feedback to info at renewenergy.com. That's I-N-F-O at reneuenergy.com. The Solar Maverick Podcast is produced by Podcast Laundry and executive produced by Benoit Thangen and Kevin Y. Brown. 